scripture, which can be found on the inside of our bulletin. This is Luke. Excuse me. I think I swallowed a frog. Luke 8, 41 through 48. Luke 8, 41 through 48. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And the women, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Well, this was about 21 years ago. I had been married for about six months. I had already had a bizarre spraining of both of my ankles at the blob at Lake Champion and been arrested for doing youth ministry. Imagine that, United States of America, darn it. And I started to feel very bad. Started just nausea, started to feel chills, started to just feel like something was very wrong with me. I felt tired. My stomach started to gather up in knots. To the point where I realized I needed to go into the emergency room. And so my wife and I went into the emergency room in Harrisonburg, Virginia, where they uh, looked me over. Uh, Despite my pain, they couldn't figure out what was going on. So they uh, gave me a sedative and they mixed up some sort of GI cocktail and said, drink this. And lo and behold, they revived me and we just chalked it up to bad pizza. Well, about a month later... It began again. Late afternoon, I started to feel that familiar feeling. Cold chills. Stomach starting to get in knots. And I realized we thought I had the flu. And I wasn't going to spend the night in the room uh, with Ellen, so I spent the night in the uh, spare room, and I was tossing and turning. Something was wrong. In the morning, I found myself vomiting and laying on the floor in the bathroom as my wife found me. And she asked the question again, do you need to go to the emergency room? To which I said, I don't think I can make it. To which Lee Ellen said, we better go right away. And so as I go writhing in pain, they put me on a gurney till they can get me to the person that they need to, uh, to see me. And The guy comes along and he looks at my name and he asks my wife, does this man speak English? To which I say, what country do you think this is? No, I actually uh, yelled something that sounded like this. So it sounded more like Yeti. So needless to say, I couldn't prove my point. Well, they ran the tests and what did they discover? I had appendicitis, an appendix, and in fact, it had already ruptured. 
And so, lo and behold, it was emergency time. My father, who was a doc, my grandfather was a doctor, had actually died from appendicitis. It wasn't too long ago that people died from that, and people still do. In appendicitis, the bacteria in your appendix builds up in such a way that it uh, basically opens uh, your appendix or your intestine and all the bad stuff seeps out and basically infects your chest cavity, uh, your stomach cavity. And so the goal is to fix the problem, but even when you fix the problem, you have all of these bad things in your body. And unless you get them out, they are going to kill you. All of your intestines go to sleep when they touch them. And so for the next uh, 13 days, I was in the hospital with a uh, NG tube down my nose, pulling stuff out, all of the stuff that was building up in my stomach. It was the most helpless feeling I ever had, being attached to this little device. And I think it really summed up the whole situation when my wife asked, do you think we should go to the hospital? And I said, I don't think I can. Helplessness is one of the most horrible feelings in life. You know, you wonder why babies sound so horrible when they cry. They're simply articulating in a very clear way what helplessness feels like. We may internalize it, but we know it. it comes along in different forms, different uh, levels. Maybe it's a job that's lost, a miscarriage. Maybe it's sudden, like a death in the family. Or it's a marriage that continues to build again and again and again, higher and higher as that feeling of helplessness comes upon you. Maybe it's your mental health. Start small. I can manage this. We can take care of this on our own. Just a couple of fixes. But eventually it gets to that point when I don't think I can make it to the hospital. These two people in this story, Jairus and this woman, are the perfect picture of helplessness. Two totally different people. One, Jairus, an insider, rich and wealthy and religious, a man of power and influence. The woman, a nobody, penniless, poor. And yet they both experienced the same common thread of helplessness. But there is a small hope. Jesus. It's desperate. It's risky. But the reason it paid off was precisely because it was desperate and risky. You see, the second common thread of these two different people, other than helplessness, is faith. They both exercised a faith that was a Raw faith, a real faith, a faith that was stepping out. You know, faith that cannot fail is not really faith. And so I want us to walk alongside with these two people and to examine our own lives. For we do know what it is like to be helpless. And we know what it's like to be hopeless. But it's only when we come to Jesus helpless and in risky faith that we experience him as Savior. Jesus is only available for the helpless and hopeless. So come to Him, desperate and risky, but come. Well, let's take a look at this woman. Actually, let's look at Jairus first. Who exactly is Jairus? Well, it says he's the synagogue ruler. 
And it is not a synagogue ruler, it's the synagogue ruler. So he apparently is the one in charge of the synagogue. Now the one in the charge of the synagogue was not necessarily a religious figure. He was the layman. Okay, the priests were in charge of the service and all that. But he was in charge of all the elements of the service. What would be preached on? When it would be preached on? Who would read? Who would serve? He was a man of standing in the community. He was a very powerful figure. And as a community leader, he was the one being used to bow, being bowed to. And there is this one Jesus who's going around who is not, uh, the synagogue rulers are not a big fan of Jesus. The religious leaders are not a big fan of Jesus. And so it would have been very strange to see this one, Jairus, coming and falling prostrate, face down before Jesus Christ. He was in danger of losing his reputation. The synagogue rulers probably wouldn't stand for this. They were the ones who were calling him a heretic. And yet here is Jairus breaking lines, breaking bounds. You know, he probably spent his whole life coming to be in this position of authority. And yet here it seems nothing to him. The question is why? It's really quite simple, isn't it? It's his daughter. His only daughter of 12 who is dying. Indeed, the Greek says, beginning to die. So she's been sick, she's been sick, and it's turned a corner. It's just a matter of time. It's inevitable. So this 12-year-old daughter, I have a 12-year-old daughter, by the way, right in the fruit of life, you see them sprouting up. Wouldn't be too much longer in that culture before she'd be uh, eligible to be married. The only child getting ready to die. If you're a parent, you understand this. That being synagogue leader doesn't mean anything if your child is going to die. And so he comes with hat in hand. Indeed, even more than that, falling with his face to the ground and saying, help me, help me, Jesus. Raw and risky. Well, we also have another person in this crowd, don't we? The woman. We don't even know her name. She's anonymous, not special in any way, except for the fact that she also is sick. Says that she has a condition. She's been bleeding for over 12 years. Think a little bit about that. Obviously, you get the picture that she, in her cycle, has experienced this bleeding, but it doesn't stop. So she's weak. She's always giving out. She's never taking in. Her body is continually losing energy. And it says that she's weak and she's broke. Other uh, passages tell us that she suffered a long time at the hands of healers. Yet instead of getting better, she's gotten worse. And now she has nothing. She's physically weak, but she's spiritually empty as well. Leviticus tells us that a woman in this time of the month cannot go to temple. Everything she touches is unclean. And so to touch her is to be unclean as well. To go to her home is to be unclean. She can't go to synagogue. 
She's spiritually desperate and she's relationally alone. No people carrying her on a mat, are there? No husband that we can tell of. Plenty ways to get out of this one if you want to in the Mosaic Law. Can't have children during this time. No guests to her home. She's out of solutions. But she has concocted a desperate plan. She's not allowed to touch others, mind you. But she thinks to herself, if I can somehow get to Jesus and touch Him, if I can somehow just touch Him, somehow I can maybe receive His power and it can restore me. Because He's a holy man, I can tell He has power. Really, it's kind of superstition. She doesn't even know who He is. It's like, you know, the Virgin Mary Guadalupe, you know, where these people are coming around who... It's all that you've got. And so she makes this desperate decision to try to sneak up. Indeed, it says to approach him from the back. It's a touch and go. I want you to notice that both of these people are not seeking a relationship with Jesus. I hear people coming to me saying, you know, I want to be able to stand back and examine Jesus on his merits. To stand in judgment, if you will, of him. To be able to make a decision for him after I've done my equations. But the truth is you don't see that in the Bible at all. The people you see coming to faith are people who are coming desperate. Where logic in many ways is out the window. They're at their last leg. They simply know that there's something about this person that can meet my needs. I love the fact that Jesus was not offended in any way, by this mercenary approach of this woman, right? I'm going to come and steal and I'm going to run. No, Jesus isn't offended at all. In fact, it is because of the approach that she takes that Jesus responds to it. The truth of the matter is, my friends, that if you want to approach Jesus, you have to approach Him in a raw and risky way. Because faith that is not real... Faith that is not raw is not real. And if there are no risks when you approach Jesus Christ, it's not really faith. The whole definition of faith is the fact that it can possibly fail. And the way that Jesus asks us, demands that we approach Him, is with an open, empty heart. I don't know if you saw that there's a new movie that's out. It's called Everest came out about a week ago. Whoops. Well, watch this. This this movie, Everest, is about the 1984 disaster. 24 people lost their lives on Everest over two days. To get up to Everest, you have to cross multiple ladders. A couple of them are called ladders of death. If you lose your step in this crevasse, you go down and you will never, ever, ever be found again. Now, I don't know if you own a ladder. Mine doesn't look so good. Conditions there are rather rough. Metal twists and gets brittle. Now, in the beginning... The people that were going up on that expedition, they went up with excitement. 
the opportunity to add their name to the list, to crest the tallest mountain ever. The disaster struck on top of that mountain and many of those people came down, frostbite, in the dark, blinded, having to cross that ladder. They want to get down. They want to get to safety, yet to get to safety they have to cross what appears extremely unsafe. What Jesus is saying is that's how you must approach Him. Nothing behind, nothing ahead. The steps of faith fall on the seeming void and find the rock beneath. There's only one way to approach Jesus. Not exactly sure why you're here today. Nice sized crowd. You've come to check out Jesus. Maybe stand from afar. And I'm here to tell you that Christ is here. That's ridiculous, Carlos. I don't see him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. All of faith, all of Christianity hangs on one thing, that he rose from the dead. And he says that you can have a personal relationship with him right here. Well, that's crazy. That's risky. You're exactly right. There were a lot of people in that crowd around Jesus. But it was this woman that came and found him. Well, Carlos, I'm not like him. I'm not sick. Yes, you are. You're going to die. I have bad news for you. We're all terminal, aren't we? There is a point where we will face the crevasse and ask the question, is there anything on the other side? But I want to suggest to you that even as you're living, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are missing life. For Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, there is a giant hole in your heart because you don't know who you are and you don't know who He is, says the Scriptures. There's a pain in my heart because I'm unreconciled to the one who made me. There's a pain in my heart because I wonder if people understand that I feel like an utter failure at times. And I'm living a facade. There's, a fa there's an emptiness in my heart because even though I have a lot of friends, I don't have anyone that really knows me for who I am. If Christianity is right, and it is, all of life revolves around one thing, knowing Jesus and Him knowing you. And so if you want to come to Him, to him today, I give you no formula. For Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But you must come with open heart, with desperateness of life, with faith that is willing to fail, to say, Jesus, if you're real, hold me. Because it is then, and only then, that you experience that Christ came for the helpless and the hopeless, to give you rock and solid ground where it seems like there's only thin air. Well, let's continue. If we approach Jesus with risk, we approached Him in faith, 
There's one other thing that we need from Him. We need His touch and we need His voice. Luke 8.44 tells us that she came up behind Him and touched the fringe of His garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Keep in mind, crowd is everywhere. Language says the crowd was pressing upon Him. Either kind of like being crushed or uh, grapes in a wine press that are being pushed together. And so she is just maneuvering herself. She's probably weak. She's not big. Trying to get just a touch. And if you see the overhead view, you see just the glance of her hand. And it says, immediately, it ceased. See, she touched Jesus, but Jesus touched her. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and they're pressing in on you. See, Jesus in that moment experienced some immediate change. He knew right away. And so Jesus utters out, who touched me? Everyone's like, what? Peter promptly opens his mouth and sticks his foot in it, saying there are tons of people around you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Everything stops. By the way, how do you, how do you think Jairus is feeling right now? Right? He's got this train moving to his child who's beginning to die and Jesus stops. Somebody touched me for I perceive that power has come out from me. Remember Jesus Christ, this one who is fully man, is also fully God. The scriptures tell us that he was the one who had the spirit without limits. Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus is the one who spoke the universe into being, who maintains it and manages it by the word of his power. He is in control of all things while simultaneously living as this servant on earth. He is power itself. I think Jesus knew who touched him. He's asking a rhetorical question here. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, in fact, it says, and when the woman uh, discovered or concluded that she could not hide. Now, if I'm correct, the malady that she has is hidden. Right? She could have just stayed still, escaped, Run away. Don't move. There's no way anyone can know it's her. But somehow Jesus knew it was her and somehow she knew that Jesus knew that it was her. And why did she stay hidden? She had broken the rules, right? What happens if he discovers? She just wanted to touch and run because you don't touch holy people and take power without asking. Maybe he would take the healing back. She came trembling, not with joy, but with fear. 
and falling down in front of everyone. She explained why she had done what she had done and how she had done it. And what is Jesus' response in verse 48? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He doesn't rebuke her. He renames her. This is the only place in the entire New Testament where Jesus calls somebody daughter. And he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. See, the truth of the matter is Jesus knew who it was all along. It was his daughter. How did he know that? Because he made her. Because he sustained her. Because he knew every single cell of her body. I praise you, O Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. I was not hidden from you when my frame was woven in the depths of the earth. Before one of my days came to be, you know them all completely. See, the truth of the matter is that's when the real healing occurred. Not her bleeding. Because real healing is reconciliation to God. And the truth of the matter is, for those 12 years, that thing that was given to her, she never would have come to Jesus without it. It was the desperate faith of her conditions that led her to Jesus. And it was the desperate encounter where she discovered who she was. See, you're never hopeless if you're His. She came empty. She came sick and she came left healed. She came a nobody and she came back a child of God. I have many children, much like... I won't say anything, actually. Rather, I will describe my children because I know them. Even if my eyes were blinded and I had no ears, I would know them by their touch. For my children touch me in different ways. Take, for example, my son Will. If I'm walking in the dark and somebody comes and attacks me, jumps on me and rams me into a wall, much like a rhinoceros, I know it is my son Will. Will is a exuberant lover, if you will, with elbow and head. And I love it. Daniel is a little bit more of a playful fighter. He'll attack me, much like one of those small dinosaurs jumping on someone, trying to drag them down, but with playful bites. He never quite pierces the skin. But Maria... Even when she sneaks up on me, I feel those long arms and those long legs and those long hands coming around me and they just enfold me and I feel that little head tucking into me with that long hair and I know it's Maria. I know her touch. I know it because she's mine. They've always been mine. And they need my touch sometimes. And I sure need them. Some of you right now desperately need the touch of God. Because you're lost. You're empty. Your heart is open. 
and you don't know where you stand with him. And it doesn't matter how you stand with the rest of the world. If you're the synagogue leader or you're the beggar on the street. It's only when you know him that you know you. Because Jesus says, daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace. Shalom. If you're seeking the Lord, I need to let you know something. You can't know him from far away. You have to come close. And to come close is to cross the ladder. There's circumstances in your life. They may be all coming together right now. You may be at a point like this woman or the synagogue leader or it's just a low sort of hum that you've managed to somehow tamp down. But it's there because when all is quiet and you lay your head on the pillow, you experience it. Come to Him and touch Him from the back, from the side, barely, or hug Him. It doesn't matter. He knows it's you. Some of you have known His touch for some time. But you somehow bought into the lie of the world that He doesn't care about the little things in your life. Sure, He came when it's big. But He cares about the little hurts, the little insults, the little questions. Here's the truth, guys. You don't need His power. What you need is Him. Because He'll solve the problem. And so come and touch Him. Come with your hand. Come with your heart. Help me to remember who I am. God or Son, I've been waiting for you. And I'll put the family robe on you and the ring on your finger. Let's celebrate again. I don't want to leave out Jairus, so I need to close up. Actually, I didn't include the last part of the passage. Uh, so I'll just sort of read it. As Jairus is watching this woman be healed, his hopes are soaring. And then along comes the messengers. Your daughter is dead. Why bother to teach her anymore? And Jairus moves from helpless to hopeless. But Jesus immediately, it says, turns and says, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Let's go. This woman so desperately wanted to touch Jesus. Jairus so desperately wanted Jesus to touch his daughter. And Jesus goes in to this little girl's room, puts everybody out. Why are you crying? She's not dead. She's simply asleep. But everybody laughs. They don't understand that death is not separation of the spirit from the body. Death is separation of the spirit from God. And Jesus simply sits down on the bed with the dead girl and wakes her up like I wake up my children for school. Literally, that is the Aramaic. Honey, time to get up. And the daughter got up and he gave her back to her father. Jesus is the God of miracles. My situation, our situation as a family with our son could be considered not helpless, but hopeless. But Jesus has been faithful. And we know who he is. 
And death is not separation of the spirit from the body. It's the spirit from God. So even if your situation seems hopeless and you have no idea how it's ever going to be solved, if you know Jesus and His Father is your Father and Him is Lord and Savior, you don't need His power. You just need Him. Don't be afraid. Just trust me. How do we come to Christ? Risky. Dangerous. But what I've discovered is as I follow Him more and more and get to know Him more and more, it gets less risky and dangerous. Because I know Him more and more. It just seems like the situations get greater. More and more risky. But God is there, and as He proved Himself that time, He proves Himself faithful again. So come with me. Come in touch. And come and receive His unconditional love. Jesus has saved you so that you might know God, not as Master, not as King, but as Father. This is the blessing of the gospel. And this is my hope for you today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are God that demands all. A desperate heart, a desperate life. Lord, I thank you that you prove yourself faithful and that your desire is so much more than to do something for us, but rather to do something to us. It's all about relationship, Lord. I pray for those among us right now who desperately need your touch and to know who you are, that they would surrender all to you. And Lord, wherever, whenever people are right now, Lord, that know you, let them cling to you and experience the victory of knowing that we need not be afraid, but simply follow, for you have this in hand and all will be okay. I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.